Like a box of positives, it's a plus, love, as the tribe flies high like a dove. Can I kick it? Q-tip. Yes, you can. AJ, you can definitely kick it. Oh, I love that uh, quote. I never reference the quotes that we say uh, before and after our show, but when they get me hyped like that one, I got to I got to say something. Like a dungeon dragon. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Felonious Pundits. I am Kintad Svensgaard and along with me. Please say hello to AJ Mass. Hello, hello, everybody. It is I, AJ Mass, here to talk criminal minds with you. Yes, indeedy. This is a podcast about a television program called Criminal Minds. Each week we take a look at, recap the latest episode that we're at. I have never seen the show before, so I'm giving you what I would call a a first watch perspective of the show. And uh, AJ has seen the show plenty of times as a longtime viewer. Uh, so he will give you the perspective of someone who has seen the show plenty of times. One might say a grizzled veteran. <laughs> yes. I'm eventually going to say it uh, without any prompting, AJ. Without any prompting. We'll see. But, uh, we'll put that on the board. <laughs> happy to be here, as usual, for our recap. And this week, AJ, we took a look at Season 1, Episode 16 of Criminal Minds. The episode was entitled The Tribe. It uh, originally aired on March 8th, 2006, directed by Matt Earl Beasley and written by Andrew Wilder. Indeed, it doesn't get yeah. any wilder than this. <laughs> <laughs> so let's just start, get right into it with our cold open, why don't we? We open to the funky psychedelic sounds of iron butterfly and their only song that i could tell you <laughs> which is in a gata Divita. well if you're only uh, gonna have one song you might as well make it a 15 minute long song one of the classic riffs one of the classic riffs uh true that true that We appear to be at some kind of housing development, possibly under construction still, as we pan past some construction-y-looking equipment and uh, lumber, etc. We zoom up to one house in particular, where we see lighted candles through the windows, and that's where the noise appears to be emanating from. And just on the edge of the screen, we can see some kind of vehicle pulling in, and we are told that we are in Terra Mesa, New Mexico. New Mexico, AJ, which I have recently learned, it's not appropriate to call it South America. Uh, (laughs) Very true. Very, very true. (laughs) It is the land of enchantment, you know. Yes. Sadly, along with Wyoming, probably a state I hear the least about or think the least about ever. I mean, if it wasn't for Breaking Bad or maybe you got your your Lobos or your Aggies, (laughs) Beyond that, I don't really think about New Mexico too much. Sad yeah, to say. I drove through the state once and my, my friend Ron and I decided to uh, make a couple of wrong turns. 
go left, left, left in order to make a right, just so we could say, I knew I should have made that right turn in Albuquerque. <laughs> uh, yeah. Besides that, and, and perhaps Weird Al, I have no other references, pop culture references to get to. Well, now <laughs> you've got an entire episode of The Criminal Minds, so congratulations. <laughs> Terra Mesa, here we are. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so let's uh, we cut inside the house. We see a, a table in there, and it's got several lit candles, a a first generation iPod and speaker setup, several bottles, and, and cases of Buchanan's beer. AJ Buchanan's beer. Ask for it by name. <laughs> <laughs> we see some young folks that appear to be ha- partying, having a good time. Since we don't open with BAU immediately, I assume that shortly one or all of these people are going to be dead in a, some horrible manner. You've picked up a few things about what this show in the first 15 episodes. <laughs> I'm proud of you. Uh, so a man grabs a couple of the abukies off of the table and uh, heads over to two girls, hands a beer to one of the girls and immediately starts to make out with her. And the other girl is like, cool, okay. Nice. Uh, You two have fun. She walks over to another room where appears her date is. He's like, where you been? She asks him where the bathroom is. He tells her upstairs. She grabs a candle and starts to head upstairs. I should mention that the house clearly looks like it, too, is under construction. So probably this group of teens busted in and And thought it would be a cool place to party. It is a party house. Absolutely. As she's heading upstairs, we again cut to this van outside. Uh, then we cut back to our girl, and she sees a room that has another couple in it making out. They close the door on her. Uh, so she goes into what I'm assuming is a bedroom or something and looks out the window. She's holding her candle. I don't know. Perhaps that might be a signal of some kind, or maybe she's just looking outside, AJ. I don't well, know. it could be interpreted either way. That's the beauty of... Uh doing something like that it's only in retrospect you know which one it is and of course they do their outside pov and the ominous chord starts to follow her so you know that something's about to go down and we do actually hear a couple of voices from that pov shot from the van saying there's our girl yeah that's her the girl herself doesn't appear like she really has to go to the bathroom she just uh, <laughs> walks back downstairs puts down her candle She goes out through a a sliding glass door, and she walks out into the backyard. She's looking around. Looks like she's looking for something. We don't really get to know what it is because we get what I call a jump scare as someone grabs her from behind and covers her mouth. Cut back inside the house. We see her date coming down the stairs looking around for her. He starts saying, Ingrid? And we cut to a quick shot of what appears to be several people. We can only see the back of their legs running away through like a ditch nearby or something like that. It was an interesting shot. And I was a little bit confused. It was what was going on here because it didn't seem like any of those feet were like anybody carrying a girl that's just been kidnapped. This is true. I thought that was interesting. Uh, Before I can think too much about it, we cut back uh, again to the date looking for her. There's a kissing couple on the floor and they ignore his question. If they've seen Ingrid, Again, we cut to a bunch of people running, and it actually looks like they're running toward the house. Ingrid's date walks outside and and flips a ridiculous-looking scarf he has on around his (laughs) neck. And uh, he turns around and is immediately jump-attacked by what I'm calling some knife-wielding maniac. Okay, that's fair, because all I wrote in my notes was stabby, stabby, stab, stab. 
(laughs) (laughs) We pan out from the house and then the screen kind of goes white. And then uh, it goes from the white back into the BAU offices in Quantico. Yeah, nice little new, a new, a new dissolve technique here. Transition. <laughs> it's the daylight washout into <laughs> the BAU. We see uh, we're in like the main elevator lobby hallway area, and we see uh, Garcia. She's walking somewhere confidently in the hallway, and she's got a roll of paper towels and a bottle of spray cleaner, and she's got an attitude. Uh, some good looking guy gets off the elevator and walks past her Uh, she pauses uh, shoves the towel and the cleaner into the arms of a random passerby and runs after the good looking guy she starts adjusting her sweater like she's going to uh, I don't know maybe approach this guy for some some kind of sexy conversation or something (laughs) well we know she knows how to talk the talk we don't know whether she can walk the walk (laughs) yeah before we get a chance, though, Elle comes up on her, and uh, she asks her what she's doing out of a bunker. I'm like, gee, Elle, Garcia can't walk around the office. Who let you out? <laughs> yeah. Garcia makes something up about she's going to file something, but she's clearly staring at the good-looking guy. He He notices them and comes over to them. He's like, excuse me. Garcia looks like she's about to pounce on him, and... L says, hey, and AJ, do we ever find out who hurt L? What man <laughs> in in this world <laughs> has hurt L in her life so much? Because, I mean, the look she gives this guy is it's like, come at me, bro. <laughs> Instead of just like, you know, oh, I, at I least think that's how I interpreted yeah, it. You know, we, we've got 15 seasons worth of Criminal Minds. Every single person who appears on the show gets... Some sort of backstory at some point. Sure. <laughs> okay. Uh, anyway, Morgan comes up. He's like, Sean, hey. The guy's like, hey, Derek. Uh, and Morgan says, uh, you must be looking for your brother. He's like, yeah. So Derek leads him off. And El says, brother? Is, are you telling me that's Hotch's brother? And Garcia says, maybe he's been adopted. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. Yeah, nice, 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 nice talking about your boss there. Because <laughs> our boss is a real uggo. <laughs> yeah. We see Sean knocking on Hotch's door. Hotch says, come in. And as he goes in, Hotch sees it's him. He gets off the phone call he was on. And the conversation starts out friendly enough, but it doesn't take too long to devolve into family drama. As Sean is telling Hotch that he's decided not to go to uh, law school at Georgetown. He's got an opportunity to work at a restaurant in New York. And Hotch is like, WTF, you always wanted to be a lawyer like dad, you know, like me. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Sean is like, yeah, look what that got dad, a heart attack at age 47. Hotch is like, well, I'm doing okay. And, of course, I'm waiting for him to mention his wife and his son Richard here, but that doesn't come up. Hotch suggests that if uh, Sean wants to be in New York, maybe he can go to NYU, Columbia, Fordham. Sean is like, you are not hearing me, man. And they go back and forth a little bit more. Uh, but Sean isn't there to get his mind changed. He was just there to deliver a message. And uh, Hotch is like, yeah, really, why are you here? And Sean is like, good point. He turns around and, and leaves Hotch up leaves Hotch's office. I mean, 
it is clear that Hotch has, in in, in the uh, aftermath of uh, his father's death, has kind of taken on the fathering role. And certainly this seems more of a conversation of father-son. I'm disappointed in you as opposed to older brother, younger brother. But uh, yeah, uh, he just turns tail, grabs his motorcycle helmet off of the desk and <laughs> walks out. Yes. Meanwhile, Garcia and L have gathered up JJ and they're scoping out Sean from across the office. And JJ's like, that's Hotch's brother? I don't see it. Hotch has followed Sean out of the office and he's like, look, all I'm saying is you're 25 years old. And Sean's like, you know what? Don't try to profile me. Uh, and he just turns around and storms off. He passes the girls and I think JJ is like, takes a look at him and maybe takes a look at his behind or something because she's like, oh, now I see it. That's <laughs> not what she meant. <laughs> She meant that he can be an a-hole, too. <laughs> Don't profile me, bro. That's oh, more of the... That's okay. what she meant. Because when he was all looking all hot and studly, like, that's not like Aaron Hotchner at all. And then it's like, dude. Ah, there we go. <laughs> Snap <laughs> your judgment. Inter- <laughs> your interpretation makes more sense. I like it. <laughs> uh, then L and JJ, they break off from the group, leaving Garcia kind of standing there. <laughs> Looking like uh, she got caught with her hand in the cookie jar. I don't know. <laughs> Cute little I, scene. I, I just like to imagine now Garcia having to go track down whoever it is has her paper towels and, and glass cleaner because <laughs> she's pro- she probably was heading to her office to like clean off all 6,000 monitors she has in there. <laughs> right. Uh, so next we cut to uh, the roundtable room. JJ is passing out the case of the week information packets. Apparently, there are five people dead, all from Mesa University. No signs of sexual assault or theft. They weren't tied up. No one escaped. Reed says no single unsub could have controlled that many people. Gideon says he thinks they're looking at a pack. L asks for a description of a pack. (laughs) What that (laughs) might be. Come on, L. (laughs) And Reed explains that it's three or more that kill in unison. And that the pack's survival depends on their ability to hunt successfully. Hotch says, and as in nature, a pack will keep killing until it runs out of prey or is stopped. Elle says, stopped by what? And Gideon says, dramatically, a stronger pack. <laughs> Hotch, <laughs> Hotch pulls out a picture of a bloody stake in the ground. I know what happens when someone holds up a picture, but instead it's a fake out and we go to credits. Criminal minds, criminal minds, criminal minds, criminal minds. It's criminal minds. Yeah, they faked you out. Yeah, I thought the only thing that could maintain a pack success is if they re-sign Aaron Rodgers, but you know, that remains to be seen. <laughs> Ooh. Ah. Hey now. Topical. <laughs> So after the credits, AJ, we get a stock of a stock shot of the uh, Gulf Stream, and I'm like, "Good, I needed that established because I didn't want to assume that they had to hitchhike to New Mexico." <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's it's far enough. We need the jet shot, don't we? <laughs> yes, uh, yes, indeed. We don't actually go inside the jet to have a conversation, which I'm actually kind of thankful for. We just get the shot, so we know that it happened. They flew there, and also it's a chance to get our opening quote from Hotch. Uh, who says, Nietzsche, Nietzsche wrote, 
I didn't like the way he pronounced Nietzsche, Nietzsche, by the way. Is it Nietzsche? I always say Nietzsche. You know, yeah, it's one of these names where we here in the United States have grown grown up and brought up to say Nietzsche. It probably more Friedrich Nietzsche. So yeah. It doesn't bother me as much as Gazebo. <laughs> no, Gazebo <laughs> was Orongo. <laughs> uh, so anyway, Nietzsche said, the individual has always had to struggle to keep from being overwhelmed by the tribe. Right off the bat, I mean, we're going to say the tribe a number of times in this episode, but we get the episode title out the way. Thank you, Aaron Hotchner. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Hotch. Ping! Four episodes in a row. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, next we see the uh, Bausuve pulling up to the crime scene. And Hotch, Gideon, and Reed introduce themselves to the local sheriff. He was hoping there'd be more of them, apparently. But Hotch lets him and the rest of us know that the rest of the team has gone straight to the station to check out the files and whatnot. I, I do like that line, actually. I, I like the fact, oh, I was hoping there'd be more of you. Because it immediately establishes <laughs> that we don't have to worry about this sheriff either getting in the way or helping. <laughs> He's, he right. wants nothing to do with this case whatsoever. Because as I've already established, there's never any news in New Mexico. There you go. <laughs> if you're from New Mexico and, and checking us out, give us a right. Give us a write at feloniouspundits at gmail.com and, and let me know that I'm full of it and that there's plenty of news in New Mexico. Uh, Santa Fe's coming for your behind. <laughs> <laughs> so Hotch does ask the sheriff if forensics has found anything, and the sheriff says that uh, they went through for prints and trace evidence, but all the workmen trampling all around everywhere uh, make, made the footprints looking at that that would be pretty much a, a waste. So they go inside and, and look at the crime scene. And as Hotch is looking at things, he notes that the bodies were almost completely skinned, but there was so little blood. Reed says the unsubs tended here to avoid areas of skin on the wrist and throat where the veins and arteries are close to the surface because they didn't want them to be bleed out. So it looks like they were skinned alive. Ew. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> Gideon notes the beer and the sleeping bags. Hot says, "Yeah, everything you need for a night of teen romance." Yeah, that was. I think that's my favorite. That's my favorite line of the entire episode. <laughs> Two cases of beer and some sleeping bags. Everything you need for a night of teen romance. That's love advice from Aaron Hotchner. <laughs> um. Because there's three sleeping bags, Gideon says that it's unlikely two couples brought a fifth will to come along and take notes. Uh, so they tell the sheriff it's possible there was a third girl there, maybe a sixth victim. Hey, hey, yeah. actual police work done by the BAU. Yes. <laughs> Nicely done. <laughs> the uh, sheriff says he'll get his uh, deputies to canvas the area, see if they can find out if anyone saw a girl. And then they go to talk about the one victim that was killed outside. Apparently he was impaled on this large stake. And Reed notices that these killings were all uh, typical of uh, war witch rituals of the Native American Plains Indians. 
So the sheriff points out that everything they see around them is Apache land. The whole basin they are in was a sacred burial ground and was the site of a number of massacres. AJ, that's never good. (laughs) (laughs) It's never good. The sheriff here, of course, auditioning for a future job on Exposition TV. They don't have television (laughs) on right now, so the sheriff's going to have to serve that purpose of giving us these details that we didn't ask for. (laughs) We don't really need, but uh, okay, sure. Little little, uh, get from point A to point B here. The uh, housing development is on what was the Apache land, but they didn't have the money or inclination to build on that land. So the town seized half half of it. And Reed mentions, oh yeah, last year, Supreme Court ruled cities can use eminent domain authority to seize and repossess repossess undeveloped private land for private development. I remember when that happened. Big big news story. It was, absolutely. And uh, this is, you know, ripped from the headlines, I suppose, in a way. Yes. So the sheriff mentions that the town is currently looking for investors to build uh, more things on the other half of the land, and the Apache are currently fighting that in court. But there hasn't been any violence, certainly nothing like this. Gideon asks the sheriff if he thinks anyone on the reservation is capable of this violence. Sheriff says he doesn't know. It's really a federal jurisdiction, and Gideon says, well, that's where they need to go. Gideon got a smug look on his face when he says that, too. It's like, oh, did you say it's federal jurisdiction? If only we had some federal agents here who could take advantage <laughs> of the fact that it's federal jurisdiction. Follow me, boys. <laughs> <laughs> they do call Garcia to check the reservation out, see if there's anything she can find out. She mentions that there was a militant group there called the IRM in the 70s, uh, but none of those guys are still around. So why bring it up? No. (laughs) Uh, There there is a guy who's been locked up more than a few times for demonstrations, resisting arrests, political protest type of stuff. But as she looks into it further, she sees that his father was killed in a shootout with federal agents at Wounded Knee. The father's name was Benjamin Blackwolf. The son was John Blackwolf. Hotch says to the sheriff, Blackwolf? And the sheriff says, John Blackwolf? Uh, He's an Indian activist. Been in a little trouble related to his activism, but nothing violent. Hotch says, well, maybe we should uh, call the reservation police and alert them. The sheriff doesn't think that's a good idea. Hotch asks why, and he says, because Blackwolf is the reservation police. No! (laughs) (laughs) That's a good thing they they got that straight before they showed up at the reservation. Right. <laughs> you imagine them trying to arrest Black Wolf, but he's like, he's like, I'll get, you You have no authority here. This is, this is our land. Well, I'll get your uh, sheriff. Like, well, <laughs> excuse me, put my hat on and grab my badge. That could have been embarrassing. <laughs> Certainly. We cut to the BAU SUV and the sheriff SUV pulling up outside of a building. Uh, the sheriff introduces them to a woman there whose name is Jane Bear. Jane is the president of the tribal council and the principal of the reservation school. They tell her they're there to talk to Black Wolf. She says about Terra Mesa. Yes, so Jane Bear starts to defend Black Wolf, says he's a peaceful man. The sheriff says, yeah, but he would do anything to defend his tribe with force if attacked. Yeah, and she, you know, she just rolls her eyes because she knows she's not going to get anywhere arguing this at this yeah. point the, all right i'll you know i'll take you to see him come with me blah 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 but you stupid stupid feds that's basically what she's thinking 
we cut inside to a classroom and uh, John Blackwolf is teaching a class. And he's uh, saying as they walk in, he's saying they're forcing the Diné, the Apache Nation, to abandon their homes and live in government-controlled internment camps. Does anybody know the last tribe to surrender to the American government? And Reed, (laughs) under his breath, (laughs) whispers uh, the Chiricua. And Black Wolf says, it was the Chiricua, Apache. And does anybody know the name of the last leader of the Apaches? And Reed whispers, Geronimo. <laughs> he just can't help but be the guy who answers all the questions. <laughs> yes, exactly. And uh, the kids are all raising their hands. Uh, uh, Black Wolf picks one of them and he says, and the kid says, Geronimo. Black Wolf says, that's right. Geronimo was caught by the U.S. Army five times. But the Gahay had given him so much strength that he escaped each time. And then he says, Samuel, uh, talking to one of the kids, uh, tell the men from the FBI who the Gahay are, to which Reed immediately says, the Gahay are mighty spirits who dwell in desert caves. And Hotch says, Reed, is your name Samuel? <laughs> it's awesome. Uh, yeah. It's an awesome way of uh, shutting Reed up uh, because it's rude. <laughs> And again, another example of Hotch being the father figure to someone he's not actually the father to. It's it's just a nice callback to that first scene. I really, I really didn't like it. And of course, you know, John, when Reed starts talking, uh, shaking his head, Blackwell was like, what the, really, dude? <laughs> so when, when Hotch yeah. calls him, I, John actually smiles a little bit. <laughs> like, like, okay, I, I like this guy. Like, I, I don't, I don't know much about liking FBI guys, but there's something about this guy Hotch I like for, for that line. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. They have a they have a pretty nice uh, relationship or interesting, a nice and interesting relationship. Oh, if you spun off Hotch and Black Wolf tomorrow, I would watch the show. <laughs> yes. So Gideon uh, does ask if the Gahay are good spirits or bad spirits. And Black Wolf says they're both just like men. Jane Bear tells Black Wolf she'll take over the class for him, and Black Wolf uh, is going to go outside with the agents. Before he does, he opens a drawer to receive his uh, to retrieve his badge and big ass knife. Hmm, where have we seen a big ass knife before this episode? <laughs> uh, and so, and he walks out of the building with them. Uh, Gideon introduces himself. Hotch and Reed. Black Wolf looks at Gideon and says, "You look like a college professor." He looks at Reed and says, you look like his student. And then he looks at Hotch and says, you, you look like FBI. <laughs> he ain't wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Hotch says they're with the uh, behavioral analysis unit and Black Wolf's, Wolf thinks that profilers should know better. Hotch is like, what the what? Black Wolf says, we don't do massacres. Y'all do. Hotch is like, me personally? And Black Wolf says, your government. Hotch says they want him to look at some photos and help them figure out why the kids were killed uh, and how the kids were killed. Black Wolf says, you're not asking me because I'm a cop. Gideon says, no, we're asking you because you are an expert on Native American culture. Black Wolf looks at the photos and says he doesn't, uh, doesn't base his opinion on photos. He has to walk the ground. 
but apparently he likes to travel by photo just like the rest of the BAU team because he holds it up and we transition everyone from there over to the crime scene. Uh, yeah, anytime that like you, you were faked out earlier, but th- that we just saw the photo and then the photo disappears. Here it's hold the photo, angle the photo, wait for the camera to pull into the photo. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh no, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> One one of these one of these episodes, you know, you're gonna see they're gonna hold up a, a picture of, uh, you know, a fire pit or something. You're like, no, 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 put the photo down. <laughs> I'm gonna fear for their safety. Uh, Hutch wants to go inside uh, the place immediately since forensics already said the outside is contaminated by all the construction traffic. But Black Wolf is, you know, scanning the area, the outside area, and. Reed takes this time to mention that the Apache are renowned for their tracking ability. Hotch basically says, well, he's profiling the dirt. (laughs) Uh, Reed says to Black Wolf that he notices he doesn't carry a gun. Black Wolf says cryptically, 21 feet. Reed is like, what? (laughs) Black Wolf says, ask Agent Hotchner. He's your real gun hand. Hotch is like, why do you say that? And Black Wolf says, well, you carry two guns. Which we know that so, he does because we have, yeah. you know, noticed in certain episodes, like perhaps when the snot-nosed kid in the hospital gets his ankle revolver, that he carries two guns. Yep, he's he is exactly right. So Hotch does explain to Reed the maximum distance that an attacker with a knife can close in the time that it takes to react and draw your sidearm and fire is 21 feet. Black Wolf says, inside 21 feet, I win. Outside 21 feet, I have other options besides just shooting a man. And Reed is like negotiating. <laughs> Black Wolf says, like running. <laughs> yeah, I enjoyed that. Too. Yeah. No, I, I really like this character. Right? This is one of the one of my favorite characters of the season so far. It's like, it's like I like the guy and I want to see more of the guy. <laughs> yeah. Um, Hutch says... Why do you say I carry two guns? Black Wolf says, well, your right instep print is heavier than your left. And since you don't appear to have a club right foot. And Hotch is sort of incredulous, saying you can't tell that from my footprints. There's no perceptible difference between them. And Black Wolf says, your problem isn't with your prints. It's with your perception. Yeah, I mean, you would think that Aaron would be a little bit more understanding because this is pretty much how all the local cops usually treat them when they come in and they're like, oh, come on, you can't tell. What, what's this profile? But at the same time, he's also right. I mean, this is a lot of the problem that that uh, I have with like the Sherlock Holmes type uh, detectives who like go, yeah, and I can see from looking at your face that you like to read Emily Dickinson. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> it's like, it, it does seem a bit far-fetched that that's how he knows, other than, you know, I caught a glimpse of your uh, your pant leg lifted up earlier and I saw the strap. You know, like, that, that would be a lot more likely. <laughs> I like, uh, yeah, I like I like Black, Black Wolf's explanation. I'm buying it because... Hotch does have the two guns, but you're right. He probably he may have. Seen yeah, it. no, and and, and let's let's <laughs> let's face it. Look, it, does it really matter how he comes up with it? No, he's he's profiling. That's all. You know, he he's right, and that's really all that matters in this case. Plus, they want him to look around and tell them what they don't know. So let 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 him work. Yep, let him do his thing. Gideon asks Black Wolf what he sees. 
And he says, Black Wolf answers with a quote, which I thought was kind of great, <laughs> um, of, of an old Apache saying, uh, once there's, once too much blood has been spilled on the same ground, the ground develops a thirst for it. This this is a consistent with Native American warfare rituals, but it's not just the Apache. Whoever did this carried out brutal practices of Apache, Navajo, Comanche, Pueblo, and Sioux tribes. No one tribe ever did them all, not like this. And a real Indian would know that this was not Indians. If you want to figure out who did this, maybe it would help you to know there was a sixth person in the house. Which is great because and, uh, they had already come to that same conclusion earlier. So, of course, right. we're beginning to see that he sees what they see. So not only does it uh, make us realize this guy knows what he's talking about, but it also, uh, you know, it should be a star in the cap, feather in the cap of, uh, you know, our boys. Like, yeah, we figured that out too. Cool, 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 cool. Hotch says, well, why do you say that? Black Wolf describes what he Thinks this other person was. He says, female, 90 to 95 pounds, size six shoe, fallen arches. She was a lock, walking alone when she was ambushed by two men. So, yeah, that's Sherlock Holmes kind of, kind of, uh, inference there that you yeah, but I, it's about. different from like he's actually looking at the ground he's seeing different types of footprints and everything and that's how he's you know he's not explaining yes. precisely what he's doing it, it the, the a to b here makes a lot of sense the you know your shoe is scuffed on one side therefore you're carrying a gun that's not <laughs> not as direct <laughs> and obvious line of thought that's all so uh hotch says we also believe there were at least three suspects and black wolf says three yeah, no, there were two over here plus six over here because while these two carry the girl struggling to the vehicle to the east, at least six other people ran single file to hide their numbers from the west. And Hotch is like, so you're saying there were eight people? And Black Wolf says, at least. And Gideon says, and one hostage. Yeah, we got to remember the stakes here. Thanks, we got to remember the stakes because Gideon is always about making sure everybody who has been taken hostage everyone who's in trouble we have to save them all because he's he you know he needs more he's got all these picture frames in his office <laughs> he needs more pictures of them. right we cut to a commercial break apparently and then when we're back we are at the sheriff's station black wolf wants to know from hotch how he thinks he did and uh Hotch says that his lack of emotional reaction at the crime scene leads him to believe that he's innocent because a guilty man would have feigned disgust at the whole thing. And Black Wolf then goes into an explanation of something he calls counting coup, which is an Apache. It's basically his way of saying that the Apache thought that killing is useless unless it was absolutely necessary because it was a sign of weakness and stupidity. That's yeah, what it all boils yeah. down to. Yeah, we don't need to. It's, it's basically, it's like, look, <laughs> the, the Apache aren't stupid and this murder was stupid. It, it, you know, it, he was a sloppy. The unsubs were sloppy. We are not sloppy. You know, the, the whole thing. We they wouldn't kill in the first place, but you know that that's kind of where we're at at this. So yeah, absolutely. And Hutch is you know very impressed with 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 uh, John Blackwolf at this point. And why wouldn't he be? He seems like he's really a nice asset to have here. And so he's like, can you stay and help us, please? <laughs> right. To which uh, Black Wolf agrees if it'll keep the FBI off the reservation. AJ, this week, I'm not sure if it's appropriate to say profiling powwow, but I say it <laughs> yeah. every week. So I'm going to continue. All right, Here we are. Let's move uh, on. 
<laughs> Reed is saying that uh, each torture ritual had specific religious significance, but only to the tribe that practiced it. So it's highly unlikely that any one tribe would mix them all together like this. Since we've already established that the sheriff is kind of on our side, we have to have another cop here <laughs> being being Mr. Doubtful. Uh, <laughs> so he's like, meaning? What does that mean? And it means that whoever did this obviously had knowledge of the Native American culture, but they had no practical understanding of it. In, a, in other words, exactly what Black Wolf had said <laughs> at the crime scene. Like, yeah, yeah no, right. no, they, they didn't know what they were doing here. They, they they knew they knew of but not knew why or where for of the thing yeah exactly uh, Morgan says what we do know is that this pack shares a singular vision and then there's the video appearing behind him but they do something a little bit different this time which is Morgan just completely <laughs> disappears and we see the video and then at some point. A little bit after he's talking, he just appears back. Yeah, okay. You know, again, I, I, profile time is my least favorite time of this show because it's all about the, oh, what stock footage did we get this week? Yeah, quick, show Manson. <laughs> show yeah, uh, show exactly. the uh, cult, uh, the uh, cult with the uh, UFO cult where they uh, all killed themselves. Uh, you know, show, <laughs> show, show Waco. Exactly. You're like, okay, great. I get it. Cults. Cults bad. Cool. I'm with you. Exactly. And and there is that, that same one cop who's speaking up and he says, uh, but these are Indians, right? Black Wolf, again, I seriously doubt it. The torture and mutilation you see here is a confused imitation of that. And the cop is like, are you trying to tell us that Indians wouldn't be so brutal? And Black Wolf says, no, I'm saying that the Indians wouldn't be so confused. <laughs> Trust me. It, I think we've yeah. made the same point several Trust times. If it, if it were Indians, you'd know it was Indians. <laughs> you know what's cooler than a million deaths? A billion deaths. <laughs> <laughs> so we cut over to the sheriff's office. He's talking with Gideon, JJ, Hotch, and L, and he's saying, can we be sure that he's right? And Gideon says he's pretty sure that Black Wolf wasn't in on it. But you don't need to be Einstein to realize that these people are Indians or people that made it look like it was Indians. Okay, now I have a problem with Gideon here because that sentence basically is saying, so I don't think that, that John was in on this. But what we do know is that either it's Indians or it's not Indians. <laughs> 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 Great. <laughs> Thanks, Gideon. That narrows it down. Yeah, exactly. L does ask why anyone would want to frame these Indians. Uh, JJ says pop maybe to turn the public opinion against them. Um, you mentioned that they were fighting the land grab in court. Public opinion could be a significant factor in that. And Hotch asks, well, if there's, is there anyone besides the developers who might be Opposed to the Indians getting their land back, the sheriff mentions a group called the ADU, which is the American Defense Union, founded by a local racist, I'm sorry, businessman named Roy Minton. Basically, they're like the Minutemen who control the borders. Only these guys blame everything on the Indians. So they wear red hats that have MAGA on it? <laughs> <laughs> 
red ass red <laughs> l <laughs> hey l. lamont <laughs> yes i was gonna go with a that 70s show joke but uh, that's a better one uh, l says who are these 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 members of this group sheriff says that mittens people are, are mostly white construction workers building supply vendors working class people who believe that the Indians are standing in the way of progress, progress and commerce. So they wear red hats with MAGA on them? <laughs> <laughs> yes. So basically they decide they're going to bring this guy Mitten in for questioning. Makes sense. Let's see what the uh, local uh, uh, leader <clears throat> has to say. <laughs> yes. So we cut to Hotch and Morgan questioning Mitten. They ask him if there's any idea who might be behind these killings. And, of course, he starts right away into his rhetoric. The Indians have a history of violent behavior, especially the Apaches. Did you know that they used to kill white settlers, decapitate the bodies, put their victims' heads on wooden pikes outside of their houses? Hotch says, well, that was a long time ago. You still seem pretty upset about it. (laughs) (laughs) Mitten is like, no, that was just the other night. My family has been dealing with the Apache for 150 years. Morgan points out that his rhetoric sounds just hateful enough to justify violence. But Minton claims they don't stoop to that level. They're fighting the Indians in court. Morgan says, yeah, then why do you guys have all these guns? Our records show your 200 members have over 450 firearms. Uh, He says, we're simply exercising our constitutional right on the Second Amendment. We have the right uh, to defend ourselves. You know, what year was this from? <laughs> <laughs> oh, so little um, has changed. Oh, dear. Yes. And Morgan says, you know, 450 guns. I don't think that's self-defense. It sounds paranoid. And Minton says, yeah, not anymore. Uh, we cut to a little bit later at the police station. Morgan is saying, if Minton really was this fanatical, he wouldn't be filing these lawsuits or organizing these labor unions. Hotch says the Indians are keeping Minton and the members of the ADU from making a lot of money on the development and the construction on that Apache land. And Gideon says, yeah, I agree. He's using racist ideology to cover up his simple greed. Uh, Sheriff, why don't you put Minton under surveillance? The sheriff says, you think he's guilty? Hotch says, actually, no, not likely, but we've just given him reason to believe that maybe some faction of his group may have taken matters into their own hands and possibly he might lead us to them. Yeah, it's like, uh, no, Sheriff, but we've just we've just kicked the hornet's nest and some of these bees might get out and kill us. So, uh, yeah, just uh, yeah, keep an eye on it. That's all. That's all we're saying. Yeah. Morgan gets a call. It's Garcia. He asks her, what does she have? Apparently, she got a a hit on one of the fingerprints on the sliding glass door, and it's our girl that we saw before. Her name is Ingrid Grayson, 19 years old. Family moved there two years ago from Texas. They got her fingerprints because uh, that required on Texas driver's license, so that's how that match came about. I do like the fact that Morgan, when he... he he answers his phone, he pulls it off his belt, and he's got two other phones also still on his belt. <laughs> he's got three phones now. He had two. Now he's up to three phones. I don't understand it at all. One is for Garcia, and the two others are for two other women that he uses <laughs> as separate phones. 
it's just because uh, he's a player. I don't know. I, <laughs> I, 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 I guess I could see having a dedicated Garcia bat phone, but it's just a lot on his belt. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Anyway, Morgan says, all right, thanks, Garcia. Nice job. And tells them that uh, they have probably found out who their sixth victim was. Makes sense. We cut to L, JJ, and Hotch interviewing Mr. Greason, who is Ingrid's father. They're asking him how old, how old Ingrid was when his wife passed away. He says 14. Uh, L says, did you raise her on your own after that? And Hotch says, why didn't you report her as missing, Mr. Greason? He says he didn't know she was missing. She apparently had her own place. I mean, she is college, college age. Right? Well, how, how would he know? Absolutely. This is fair. She has her own friends. Elle says, when was the last time you spoke to her? He says, a couple of weeks ago. She's been going through a phase the past few months, distancing herself from him. Elle asks if anybody's ever threatened her. He doesn't know. Have he Has he received any menacing phone calls or seen anyone in the neighborhood? Anything, anything at all. Throw us a bone here, basically. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he's just like, no, nothing like that. Hotch says they think that maybe the people who kidnapped your daughter may be politically motivated. They killed those kids and they kidnapped Ingrid in the name of their cause. Uh, JJ says, maybe what you can do to help us get your daughter back is, is go on the news. Greason is like, well, how will that help uh, her? JJ says, if we can personalize her to the public, they may take any harm that comes to her at the hands of the kidnappers personally. So hurting her would hurt their cause. And uh, Greason agrees to go ahead and do a press conference. I mean, JJ, what JJ says here makes a lot of sense. Uh, it's why you would be motivated to do a press conference at this, at this point. I like the fact, like, you know, hey, if she's being kidnapped for a political cause, then what they're trying to do is get awareness for their cause. And the last thing they want to do is to then suddenly when that awareness is on them, have everybody hate them. Uh, the only flaw in this is that you have to believe that the kidnappers also know that. <laughs> because they haven't, there's, there's no ransom. There's no, hey, we're, we want to make noise and let you know that, that we have a political cause. So are they dealing with someone who's going to understand that or are they going to be someone who's going to be spooked and then just kill her? <laughs> yeah. They really have no idea yet. So it, it's, it's, they might be jumping the gun. Yeah. It's, it's no, I, I, like I said, I love, I love the fact that she spells it out so nicely and it's, it, it makes sense. You just got to be sure. And I don't know if they're sure yet. Exactly. So Ellen Hotch leave Greason alone in the room and they come to what I'm assuming is uh, maybe it was Ingrid's room for when she was at the house. And, and Morgan is in there, you know, digging around for things. Morgan always goes into the kidnapped girl's bedroom to look for stuff. Well, that, that's what he does. <laughs> Trying to see if there's any CDs she might have been listening to. Uh, <laughs> so Elle says, hey, Morgan, uh, got anything basically? And Hotch is saying, hey, you know what? Fathers usually blame themselves when a child is kidnapped. And as irrational as it is, it, it's sort of typical. This guy didn't really do that. Why not? And Elle says, well, in these situations, innocent parents, they, would, they wouldn't hide their feelings of guilt. Um, but a guilty parent would. 
Morgan is like, are we thinking this guy's guilty? And Hutch says, of something. Ooh. And again, very rational. I, I like the fact that this is why I'm suspicious. Not just like, do we think he did it? No, it's like, hey, he's acting strangely normally in these situations. This, oh, okay, maybe he did something. Maybe he's not 100% responsible. Like, you know, he's not, he's not the person we think killed all the kids, but something, something's up. Something's right. up. Something is up. So we cut to a motel, AJ, and there are some guys and they're watching Greason's plea live on the news. He's asking for Ingrid. She's his only child. She's his whole life. Please return her. One of the guys uh, in the room just yells out to another person, you have to see this. Uh, And we also see on a bed there, bound and gagged, is Ingrid. Alive, Uh, thankfully. Alive, thankfully, yes. So another guy comes out and and the first guy asks what they should do while this is going on. Basically, the second guy says, well, we've got to get rid of her. Never a good thing to hear the kidnapper say. <laughs> yeah. So that's a bad sign. Cut back to the police station and Elle is coming up to Hotch and she's saying, well, we've got a caller on the line. And Hutch says, well, is Greason ready? Has he been prepped? Elle says, the caller doesn't want to speak to Greason. In fact, he doesn't want to Greason to even know that he's calling. Which is kind of strange. Very. Uh, so Hotch answers the call, uh, says this is Special Agent Aaron Hotchner. Uh, you hear the guy say, we have Ingrid Greason. We'll turn ourselves and the girl in under one condition. Hotch is like, I'm listening. He says, uh, you don't tell Greason about it. And Hotch is like, well, what does it matter to you what I tell Greason? And he says, because he paid us to kidnap her. Ah. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah. It's all starting to fall into place. <laughs> sort of. For me, anyway. Sort of. We come back from a break and BAU is pulling up into a sketchy location. <laughs> and uh, we got unsub number one and unsub number two with their shirts off and their hands up. <laughs> uh, this was pre-planned surrender, complete surrender. Absolutely. <laughs> Morgan, unfortunately for him, doesn't get any action because they are just like straight hands up in the air. They are turning themselves in. We did what you They're said. Like, we did what you said. Hey, hey, hey. No, no, the girl's in the car. The girl's in the car. She's all right. She's all right. She's in the car. Just don't hurt us, please. <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, and and they are not lying. Uh, Elle runs over to the van uh, and says, got her. Ingrid is there. And uh, Elle is like, Ingrid, my name's with Elle. I'm with the FBI. Are you okay? Ingrid, are you okay? Are you, are you okay, okay, Ingrid? Ingrid? <laughs> <laughs> you've been you've been caught by a shirtless criminal <laughs> we now cut to Hotch basically he, he's in the interrogation room with one of the suspects and Ella's in an, an interrogation room with another one of the suspects and we kind of cut back and forth between all of them Hotch is saying tell me what happened he says this suspect says Peter Greason hired us he knew about our records but he said he'd give us a chance uh, we cut to the other guy. He's saying two weeks ago, he called us into his office, said he had some off-the-clock work for us. L says, what kind of off-the-clock work? He says 
He said his daughter was in trouble. He wanted us to follow her, grab her, take her to the motel. Hot says, you didn't question his motives. Then the other guy is saying, of course we did. But then he gave us half the money. And then he said, if we harmed her, accidental or otherwise, he'd be he'd make sure that we would pay for it. Hot says, so he wanted you to kidnap her, but not hurt her. He says, yes. So we grabbed her. We took her to the motel. Then we called Greason. He said he'd come by in the morning, but he didn't show. Hotch asked him, well, what about all those killings? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, like you were at the scene and then all these people are dead. So uh, you know anything about that? <laughs> the guy says, look, we don't know anything about that. We saw it on the news the next morning. Then we called Greason. He said, hold tight. He'd come around in the afternoon and he still didn't show up. And then the next night he's on the news and he's talking about kidnappers and he says, look, man, we may be dumb. All right, but we're not stupid. <laughs> <laughs> he he called them right then and there as soon as he saw uh, Greason on the team. Hey, I got ahead of this. Like you, you can charge me with stuff, but it ain't the stuff you think you're going to charge you with. And like, really, uh, is it really kidnapping? If <laughs> Yes, yes, it's still really kidnapping, dude. But nonetheless, you, they're trying to make the best deal that they can. Yeah, JJ and Gideon are outside one of the rooms looking at them, and uh, JJ is saying that's quite the story, but they're both telling the exact same story, and Gideon says, yeah, he believes it, he believes them, basically. Well, yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of how you determine it's the real story. If they're both telling the same ridiculous story, then odds are it's the, it's the real one. Yeah, and they seem maybe a little too dumb to have like planned out the story. Well, <laughs> yes. In There's advance. that aspect too. Now, 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 dumb, yes, but not stupid. Let's be very but clear not on stupid. this. Yes, I want to be clear. <laughs> we cut back to Gideon, who's gone back to Greason. He's like, "Why did you kidnap your own daughter?" And the Hotch is pointing out, you know, it's a little bit too much of a coincidence that you kidnapped her, and that coincidentally saved her life. So right now, it looks like maybe he had some prior knowledge of what else was going to happen, and. uh Greason said, look, I had nothing to do with these murders. Uh, Gideon says, you paid those guys to kidnap Ingrid. Why? He doesn't want to talk. He's Greason his mate. He wants his phone call. But Gideon says, if it seems, it seems like if what you're saying is true, then it's likely that your daughter was somehow involved with the killings. Greason said, hey, she had nothing to do with it. You stay the hell away from her. Hotch says, look, I want the names of all your daughter's friends at school, your boy, her boyfriends. I want her class schedule. Greason is like, well, Ingrid's very private. <laughs> Hotch says, we have five dead kids. They were tortured, mutilated, and murdered. And all we have to go on is you and your daughter. Do the math. Do the math. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think at this point, you kind of, if you if you look back to that first scene now, knowing now that the kidnapping was not connected to the murders. So therefore going back to your first initial instinct that the candle in the window might have been a signal. Clearly it was a signal for the murderers to come, come in and she was distancing herself from the scene so that the murderers could come in uh, and got kidnapped in the process uh, unawares to her. So I think that aspect of the opening scene is now also falling into place a little bit. Yep. Starting to become clear, 
we cut to Morgan and Reed walking down a corridor at the hospital where they have Ingrid. Garcia happens to bring up Morgan right then, but Reed is like, I got this. I'll talk to her. Morgan is like, you're sure? He's like, yeah, yeah, Reed is, I'll, I'll be fine. I'm surprised Reed's go, Morgan, I looked down Tony Todd by myself. I was fine. <laughs> I got on the train with the crazy guy who had things in his arm. I was fine. I can handle a teenage girl who's just been through some trauma. Yes. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> Yeah. So uh, so uh, Morgan gets on the phone with Garcia. Meanwhile, Reed goes in to talk to Ingrid. He says, hello, I'm Dr. Spencer Reed. I'm with the FBI. I was wondering if you could. And then all of a sudden, Ingrid just says, Greason, Ingrid, 9432944598. Her, so, her name and social security number. Reed says, excuse me. She repeats it. And Reed gives her one of those uh looks and uh, backs out of the room. So he couldn't handle it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, who was going to expect that she would actually (laughs) just be repeating her name and social security number? We cut back to the station and the sheriff comes in and tells Gideon that apparently it doesn't look like Minton or the ADU were part of this at all. His his guys have been looking into him and his friends, checking on all the alibis. They haven't come up with anything. Gideon says, the only thing I'm certain of is that Peter Greeson is trying to protect his daughter. Hotch is getting his call from Morgan, who says uh, Ingrid isn't catatonic anymore. She's answering every question with only her name and social security number. Hotch says, like a prisoner of war. Morgan says, there's more. Garcia did some checking. Ingrid hasn't been enrolled in school for over a year. She always had good grades. She just suddenly dropped out and vacated her apartment. She'd left no forwarding address. Hotch, they have no idea of where or how she's been living. Uh, Hotch says, thanks. I want to see Peter Greeson's phone records. Now we cut back to Hotch for a brief moment, and he's questioning Greeson, and he says, how long has your daughter been in a cult? And it's it's a, a nice just let's let's just jump to that. We know that's what the story is now. Uh, we saw all the cult stuff behind Morgan in the uh, Morgan disappears and voila, he's back again. So we've already been told that cults will probably be involved. And so let's just jump ahead. Uh, let's get the ball rolling now that we've got all the the red herrings out of the way. It's the cult. Yes, uh, we cut outside. The Minton residence where there is a cop. I, I think it was our cop who was questioning things in the profile. <laughs> yeah, I think it was our our, our uh, devious dumb deputy. <laughs> uh, and I guess karma's a bitch <laughs> because uh, he's uh, basically looking over the house, staking out the place, and he's telling someone on the radio, looks like everyone's gone to bed, uh, over and out, basically. And then we see somebody with a big-ass knife walking past and then we cut inside the house uh, Minton and his wife look up and there's the guy and they're attacked you hear a little bit of screaming and then we cut to what apparently is a little bit later outside and the cop and his car has been stabbed to death as well or I blood assume everywhere. stabbed to death <laughs> yeah well yeah blood everywhere it's not a pretty scene and uh, let's uh Let's go to commercial and dwell on this for a little while. (laughs) We come back from a break and 
Hotch is questioning Greason. He's saying, look, we know you called this psychiatrist who basically is a deprogrammer whose specialty is getting kids out of cults. Your daughter joined a dangerous cult. You couldn't convince her to leave. So you had her kidnapped. Now you're protecting her because you think she and her cult probably killed those kids. And you're probably right. But now Hot says, look, there's been another killing. A family of five was slaughtered in exactly the same way as in the Terra Mesa killings. And among the dead are three girls ages 5, 8, and 11. So this makes that last scene even more horrific because we didn't know about the, the yes, kids. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I mean, there was, a, there was a brief shot of the photo on the nightstand, which could right. have tipped you off to that. But still, come on, man. Yeah. Basically, though, this could distance the uh, Ingrid away from the others because this killing obviously happened while they she was kidnapped and while they had her. So... If she had a change of heart, maybe we could make a case that she was brainwashed or temporarily insane. Uh, so we really need you to tell us what you know about the whole situation. I mean, basically, the kidnapping gives her an alibi. <laughs> right. So Greason is talking. He says it's all his fault ever since Ingrid's mom's died. He's done everything he could for her, but somehow he let her fall prey to these people. Hotch saying, well, given the wrong circumstances, this could happen to anyone's child. Go ahead. Tell us what happened. He says Ingrid was in her first semester. She started acting strange. She hardly visited anymore. When she, when she did, she was different. Uh, how was she different? Well, the way she spoke, she kept repeating these words, this jargon. I don't know where she was getting it. And then she just disappeared. Hotch says, well, cults commonly have their own language. They invent or redefine certain words that only the cult members would understand. Uh, Morgan points out that's a way of uh, isolating the members from outsiders. It's a very powerful form of thought control. Maybe if he could help them identify some of those key words that she was saying, maybe they could get Ingrid to talk. So Greason says, uh, she said, I was a trespasser, that I had no right to be here. She said grandfather taught her the ways of what was the word gahi gahi hotch says gahay and greason says yeah that's right and hotch thanks him so now they have a little bit of ammunition they can maybe talk to ingrid with absolutely i mean uh, it's, it's it's certainly uh, and the gahay ties it back into the apache that we you know we we learned in the classroom from samuel well, at least we would have learned from Samuel if Reed had let him answer. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, we cut back to the police station. Uh, Reed is now telling them now who they're looking for, which is a cult leader type. That's typically a guy between the age of 25 and 35 with a high level of intelligence. He's a sociopathic underachiever, extremely abusive childhood. And in this case, it's obviously someone with an interest for an affinity for uh, the Apache culture and rituals. Morgan says, let's look for males with criminal records for lesser type crimes like drug possession and petty theft. JJ says, how about the school records? Um, the victims from the first crime scene all went to Terra Mesa University. Maybe the leader was there too. Elle says, that's great. Let's look for students who studied Native American cultures extensively. Morgan says, yeah, we need to do it all with this second strike. Uh, Maybe there's a spree getting ready to start. Yeah, I, I think it's real interesting is that Reed's delivering the profile and Ellen Morgan are, are, you know, 
right there with him, like, yeah, this is what we need to look for, and this is what we need to look for, and this is what we need to look for. And JJ is like, um, you, while you're telling all the police what they might be looking for, why don't I just start looking for, <laughs> for this? Actually, do some police work. Um, maybe that'll help us find him. I, I like that JJ's like, <laughs> really? I'm just the media liaison and everything, but um, I think I know what to look for. So, you know, are we going to do that? Like, why do we? T- why is it that they're always saying you need to look for this and you need to look for that? I, I know they're giving them a kind of, like a mission to help them look for things, but right. like, you know, that's the number one thing is let's start checking school records at Terra Mesa. That makes yeah. such sense. Why? Why are they not doing it? Yes, good going, AJ. I mean, JJ. <laughs> AJ, talk about JJ, who's played by AJ. Oh, it all comes around and around and around. It does indeed. Now we cut back to our new crime scene, which is the Minton household. And Black Wolf is there, and he comes up to the sheriff, and he says, I'm sorry about your man, Jim. Uh, and the sheriff says, I appreciate that. And Black Wolf asks if that's her. Yes, it is, uh, but she won't give us anything but her name and her social. So Ingrid is basically there, and they grab her, and they say, come with me. My friend wants to show you something. Black Wolf introduces himself to Ingrid, says, my name is John Black Wolf, but she knows who she, she knows who he is, son of Benjamin Black Wolf. He, he says, come on with me. They bring her through the Minton house. You see blood spattered on the walls. Looks like a horrific scene. They take her to what was clearly the bedroom of the daughters. So she can sort of get that something horrible has happened here. Maybe feel the effect of it. Yeah, look look, look at what your people did. They, 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 look, this was a little girl's room and it's now covered in blood. This is, this is on you. <laughs> and if you don't want it to be on you, let's go. Tell us something. Black Wolf says, well, what do you think happened here, Ingrid? And she says, you know, she's trying to walk the walk and talk the talk. She says, uh, I think three little trespassers met the vengeful blade of the tribe. Hotch says, well, what tribe would that be? And Ingrid says, there are only two people. The Apache knows who trespass against us. And Black Wolf was like, oh, <laughs> wait a minute, little white girl. <laughs> <laughs> wait. Is your name Ingrid or is it Karen? What the <laughs> cultural appropriation yes. much? What? Uh, you are not Apache, Ingrid. And and Ingrid's like, no, you're not Apache. Not anymore. <laughs> uh, grandfather tested me. He sent me to the desert mountains to be blessed by the Gahay. Uh, the Gahay have brought grandfather back to us, built us his new tribe to reclaim the sacred land for the Apache. Uh, is like, uh, where is grandfather? <laughs> Black, Black Wolf says, did grandfather ever tell you where the name Apache comes from? Comes from the Zuni word Apache. It means enemy. And if grandfather knew the first thing about the real Apache, he would have taught you to refer to us as the Dene. It means the people. Uh, Ingrid says, grandfather has said that you and all the living Apache are like the Jews of old lost and wandering in the desert in search of their Messiah. And Black Wolf interrupts her. The Dene don't believe in a Messiah. Hotch says, you were lied to, Ingrid. Ingrid says, the Gehei. And Black Wolf is like, don't use a word you don't understand. The Gehei are not some magical fairies. They're not gods as you would understand them. This is not the blood of an enemy. This is the blood of a little girl just like you were. You've been fed pieces and and lies about a, a culture you don't understand. 
and Ingrid is wavering uh, because, you know, she's getting hit with the truth bomb. <laughs> oh, they're, they're tag teaming her with reality right now. And uh, she she's looking for a partner to tag out. <laughs> yeah. She's just like, you don't know. You don't know. And Hot says, well, what we do know is that you've been manipulated and exploited by a disturbed individual. Ingrid is still trying to fight a little bit. She's saying, you're a liar. And then she tells Black Wolf that he's disavowed his ancestors. Only those who dwell on the Deadlands deserve to live. And that clearly a light bulb goes off in John's head when he hears Deadlands. It's like, it's it's as if he is Ken Jeong on The Masked Singer. I know who this person is. <laughs> She's like, I know exactly where Grandfather is. <laughs> We cut back to the station and Black Wolf is pointing out an area on the map. He's saying that the Deadlands are on the southern edge of uh, the Western Tract. A lot of directions there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he says, uh, you said that cults like to seek out remote places, right? Uh, Hotch says, yeah, they like to isolate their followers and give them the freedom to create their own societies. Uh, meanwhile, Morgan is hanging up from a call. He's saying, okay, I got it. And Black Wolf is saying, well, it doesn't get any more remote than the Deadlands. This apparently is an area that's about 100 square miles. And Gideon is like, uh, we need to narrow that down. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I know exactly where Grandfather is. He's somewhere in this 100 square mile. <laughs> uh, I mean, thanks. <laughs> right. Morgan says, uh, we just may have our cult leader. It's probably this guy named Jackson Callie. He was expelled from Teramis Musa University, or TMU, uh, six months before <laughs> the others. Hot says, what for? Morgan says, drug possession, peyote. Tara Mesa was the last in a string of colleges this, guy's went to, this guy went to. He studied religion and Native American culture in every school that he was in, and he was in a seminar in Native American culture with Ingrid Greeson. And Black Wolf is like, oh, that's how they know so much about me. I've been a guest lecturer in that seminar for the past four years. Uh, Hotch says, if Callie's our cult leader, we need more information on him. Garcia Haber, Garcia pull out every shred of uh, his information out of the system. And Morgan says, she's already pulling it. And of course she's already <laughs> pulling it, Hotch. Don't you know, Garcia? Uh, <laughs> hey, dude, come on. Who are we talking about? Yeah. <laughs> Hotch says, do we know if he's still in the area? Morgan says he was arrested for trespassing on a bunch of motel properties. He breaks into unoccupied rooms, but the last known place they have for him turned up cold. Gideon helpfully tells us that most cults don't have any legitimate means of paying rent, so they tend to seek out abandoned, previously standing structures. Hotch says, like Manson's Spawn Ranch. Which I told myself I was going to look up, but I, I didn't. But I assume it's a, man, a place that Charles Manson had. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that and, fits and the of description. Course, yeah, and of course, you know, uh, as soon as as soon as John heard, uh, oh, abandoned motel. Ah, wait a second. I think I've narrowed it down for you guys. There is one abandoned motel right dead smack in the middle of Deadlands. That must be the place. Let's go. Yep, that's it. So they're going to go. Gideon says he's going to. Um, Gideon says he's going to stay with Reed. They're going to pull out as much information as they can on Callie. And then so we cut to the aforementioned motel. BAU and a bunch of deputies surround the place. Morgan gets to kick in a door. 
ding, 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 ding. I know we're not keeping track of that, but we're keeping track of that. At least in the sense. I'm not counting it, but we're going to at least celebrate every time it happens. And of course, Morgan kicks in the door. Yes. And uh, they get inside and do the whole breach thing. And eventually they find Callie in a room who is, and he's just standing there, you know, looking out the window. He doesn't even turn around to acknowledge their presence. That's so that he can do a dramatic turnaround after they've, uh, you know, said, FBI, don't move. He doesn't turn around, though, until I think Hotch calls him grandfather. And I think that's what gets him to turn around. Yeah, he's like, golly, golly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Grandfather, oh, hello. <laughs> yes, that is my name. And like, where is everybody? Where is everybody? Oh, hunting <laughs> he's, just trying, he's, he's over the top trying to make himself an evil character when he's, he's really not but <laughs> so reed now is on the phone with hotch and uh he's giving him the details jackson gordon callie 32 years old spent some spent a lot of his childhood moving from foster home to foster home and it's simply another sad but unremarkable statistic of a person Aside from the fact that he does have an IQ of 189, Hotch asks if he has any criminal record. Reed says at 18, he spent 22 months in prison for auto theft. Uh, Reed talked to the warden at the prison who said when he was there, he found religion and began preaching to his fellow inmates. Uh, He even once convinced a mass murderer that he was doing time with to beat to death another inmate that was threatening him. Gideon says, ever since this guy was a kid, he's just survived on cunning and force of personality. Reed says, he spent 22 months in the clink. In the <laughs> clink. <laughs> just seems kind of weird for Reed to say in the clink. Yes, uh, I'll, I'll grant you that. He's, uh, <laughs> was in the clink. <laughs> <laughs> so then he was released and uh, bounced from university to university studying you guessed it, Native American cultures. Black Wolf says, well, what's his connection to the Apache? Hotch says, aside from taking your class, nothing they could find. But with sociopaths, sociopaths like Callie, there really is no connection. If it hadn't been Apache, he would have found some other culture to attract and manipulate his followers with. Like Manson, Callie has been forced to become a profiler on his own of sorts. He reads the people around him. He finds a way in. He brainwashes them to serve whatever his needs are. And Hot says, and the only way to figure out his game is to play it. Ooh. I'm going to give him exactly what he wants. L, <laughs> wait, is L there? Does she say, what is it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> exactly. The show writes L itself says, sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, L says, what's that? And Hot says, an audience. <laughs> now we have uh, Hotch talking to Callie. He introduces himself. Callie says, you know, I spent my whole life talking to cops and doctors, but there's something different about you. You're not just a cop, are you? <laughs> Hotch uh, says, uh, you're very perspe- perceptive. Callie says, so what are you? And Hotch says, I'm a profiler. And Callie, <laughs> going along with their script, says, So am I. (laughs) Your colleagues respect you a great deal, looking to you to find all the answers. Leadership is a grave responsibility. And Hutch says, well, they don't call me grandfather. (laughs) (laughs) Callie then says, well, in my tribe, grandfather is simply another word for teacher. 
you teach them <laughs> to murder? Callie's like, no, I don't teach murder. I teach love, love of land, love of ancestors, love of the tribe. And a little bit of Russian literature. <laughs> yes. uh, they are, these trespassers, trespassers poison our land. And the Apache will soon remember who they are and hunt these trespassers off their land until no one but Apache remain. Black Wolf is there. He says, you think you speak for the Apache, but you're nothing but a coward and a killer. Callie says he hasn't killed anyone. And Hotch says, well, do you think that your little tribe is going to wage a war with all the white people in this state? And Callie says, pretty soon we won't have to. Hotch is like, well, why is that? Callie says, well, what's going to happen when the angry white men come to the doors of your children blaming you for the killing of their people? What are you going to do? Call the cops? No, you're going to string them up. You're going to put their heads on poles and rape their women just like the savage animal you really are, like the savage animal your father was before they shot him down, which was, of course, you know, manipulation of Black Wolf to get him to attack, which he sort of tries to pounce at him, but, you know. Uh, they pull him Morgan's off. Morgan's not going to let that happen. No, 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 no. Not on his watch. Yeah. yeah. So they pull Black Wolf away from him. They're like, Black Wolf's like, let me in there with him alone. I'll get him talking. Hotch is like, no, you know what? You're good. You've done more than we've asked for. <laughs> Thank you very much. Chill out, man. So he tells them to take Callie down to the sheriff's office. Black Wolf is still, you tell that guy he, he's welcome on the reservation anytime. <laughs> Hotch is like, I'll give you a ride back. See, I wish that line would have just been a little bit different. <laughs> he can come see me anytime. He's got an open reservation. Oh. Mm. That would be good. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, they figured out Callie has revealed his true nature. He's not anything but just a simple, plain racist. This was not for the sake about uh, this was not about being all for the Apache. Basically this guy is uh, trying to manipulate people. Again, they bring up Manson who's, who's claimed that he ordered his followers to kill the whites in order to initiate a race war, what he called helter skelter. And uh, Morgan says he believed in the aftermath of that helter skelter. The blacks whom he deemed inferior would need a white man to lead them. L says, well, there's a large amount of guns missing from Minton's house. Morgan says, why Why would Callie need guns all of a why sudden? Why would L wait three hours to tell us this? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. It's L always is late with the information that we probably could have known <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> so, yeah, they're wondering why he would suddenly need guns. His whole MO is to fight a war using the Native American methods. Gideon says, maybe he isn't trying to fight a war. Maybe he's trying to start one. The first attack was designed to look like Indians did it. So maybe now they're trying to get it to look like the, the ADU has retaliated against the reservation. They tried to start that by, by murdering the ADU head of family, Minton and his family, but that didn't work. So now he's got to attack the other side so, yeah, he's trying to provoke the Indians, basically, into yeah, fighting. He tried to provoke one side, the ADU. They didn't go for it. So it was like, all right, well, we'll provoke the other side. Someone's going to start this war. And uh, that 
means, well, it means they're going to attack the reservation. That's pretty much is what we figure out here. This yeah. is the uh, clearest direct straight line. And John's all like, oh, that means the school. The school is vulnerable. Yeah. If they're, if they're going to attack anywhere, they're going to. Uh, and they've already shown the that they have no problem with killing kids. So, uh, you know, that's not even a hesitation. That's, that's got to be the target. Yep. So we cut to the school. Jane Bear is in there teaching a class. And so we get basically a dramatic action scene now where everybody's bearing down on the school. We see a large group of people with shotguns headed toward the school. We see Hotch and Black Wolf. Apparently they got there before everybody else. So they're going to be the ones that try to basically help out the situation here. Hotch is starting to pull out his gun, but Black Wolf convinces him. To put that away, he's saying, you don't need it. Don't use your gun. Use your baton. There's many different paths to the same place. Trust me. <laughs> to which Hotch says, uh, you know, you sound like a fortune cookie. <laughs> That's racist, Hotch. <laughs> uh, yeah. But he does it. He just pulls yeah. out his baton. I'm like, really? Hey, okay. <laughs> he's like, down for it. <laughs> hey, Hotch, Hotch has respect for like, your house, your rules. Uh, it's okay. I'll, I'll, I'll try it. And so, you know, we got so we got six uh, members of the quote unquote ADU. It's really it's, you know, it's grandfather's cult dressed as the ADU. They've got the guns. The school right. is suddenly empty, but we see the kids are hiding in the back room. So, uh, you know, they're sheltering in place. And now, like you said, we just get this crazy action sequence where all the gunmen split up and one one by one. Right. Either Hotch or John is going to confront them. Right. And Hotch is a badass with a baton. Uh, he immediately smacks, gets one guy, smacks him and, and knocks him down and out. There's a more tense music, more fighting. Uh, John fights, uh, takes on two, it looks like, at once uh, for a little bit of a fight. We see uh, another person come along and see the body of one of the other guys, but he's not in time to stop Hotch from getting him with the baton. So basically uh, it, there's a lot of fighting and it boils down to, <laughs> uh, I'm just going to sort of cut over this, but it was very dramatic and very fun. It was something you should, should watch. Um, they basically take out everybody, but the, one of the last guys that uh, is fighting John basically pulls out a knife, Challenges him to a knife fight, which is a bad idea. <laughs> and John says, ah, ah, cool. That's not a knife. That's knife. a noise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, they go at it. And uh, John is successful, but he has to stab him a little bit <laughs> to beat yeah. this guy. It's more than a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and meanwhile, in a similar situation... Uh, unfortunately, one of the guys Hotch catches up to, they come up on Hotch, and basically Hotch has to shoot instead of <laughs> using the baton. Uh, so he takes down one of the people, one of the uh, people attacking, and there's another kid there, and he's like, oh, don't shoot, stop, I, get, I turned myself in, because he doesn't want to uh, get shot. <laughs> yeah. And so, so you know, it, it, then, you know, then this tense scene becomes a very comedy showcase. It's like, you know, they're both sitting outside, John and Hotch, with four assailants hogtied and completely out of commission. And, and like, John just turns to him, like, 
You just had to shoot somebody, yes. didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, uh, Gideon comes up and the rest of the people come up and they're like, oh, are the kids okay? Uh, they're fine. They got them out before the, the people got there. Uh, we took down these four. And Reed says, without firing a shot, to which uh, John says, uh, Captain America here, shot number five. <laughs> and uh, Hot says, you're welcome. <laughs> Uh, and then he says, well, number six is cut up pretty bad. Don't think he's going to live. Uh, maybe. Uh, Black Wolf says, well, at least I didn't shoot him. <laughs> I'm telling you, I would watch. I would watch this show. I, <laughs> I would watch the two of them go off on a spinoff. The Black Wolf and Hot show. <laughs> oh, no, it was it was delightful. Uh Morgan is like, you know, I think I'd rather be shot <laughs> out of the two the two things that happened there. And Hotch says, uh, you know, there's an old Apache saying, you can take many paths to get to the same place, to which uh, Black Wolf is kind of smiling at. And, you know, at this point, quite frankly, they should have both laughed. Hotch and John should have both laughed and the, it should have frozen <laughs> in one of those classic end of TV shows from the 70s yeah. and 80s. <laughs> yeah. And yellow <laughs> closing, you know, yellow credits you know, written by Aaron Spelling. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that would have been the perfect ending to this, but maybe, maybe uh, this is Criminal Mind, so maybe we can't do that. But yeah, <laughs> uh, but we're not going to actually get a quote to close the episode. Instead, we cut to uh, what looks like to be a diner type environment, and Hotch is coming in, and uh, Sean is there, his bro. He doesn't see him right away. He's like, be with you in a second. And Hotch is like, thanks. And uh, Sean turns around. Oh, what's, oh, it's you, basically. Uh, <laughs> Why you be here? <laughs> Hotch gives him a, a business card. And uh, Sean's like, what's this? Hotch says, uh, this is uh, Paul Morris. He's in the New York field office. If you ever need anything, give him a call. He'll take care of you. Shannon's still a little defensive here. He says, is this your way of saying I can't take care of myself? And Hutz is like, no, it's my way of saying that I'm a jackass. <laughs> to which Sean replies, yeah, it's probably hereditary. Basically, Hutch says, Sean, it's, it's important that you do this your way. You know what you feel is everybody is important, what you think. Dad knew that. I forgot. You reminded me. Thanks. Sean is like, this is... Well, this is a pretty messed up going away present, you know that? <laughs> and uh, basically, you need to get out of the office more. And Hotch is like, tell me about it. I'm starved. How's the food here? He's like, it's pretty good. Let me fix you something special. He, he's, I'm in your hands. Sean says, want a beer? And instead of saying, I would like a nice, tall Buchanan, he just says, sure. Sure, man. Thanks. <laughs> As as the melodious sounds of Coldplay swell in the background, <laughs> and that was our episode. Yeah, I mean, I don't really understand why we needed any of the uh, Hotchner brother here in this episode. It was a pretty good episode without it. But I mean, as far as character and getting into Aaron's head, I think we did learn an awful lot about him in this one. So. Uh, between uh, dealing with Sean and dealing with uh, the whole Apache situation. And yeah, I, I think we had a little bit of growth here. And now, AJ, as a as a rewatch, 
Because I think when we talked a little bit last week, you weren't really anticipating uh, enjoying this episode that much. But then you rewatched it, and it seems to me like maybe you liked it a little bit better than uh, than you thought you might. I did. I I I, I think because in, in the grand scheme of you know you're watching it weekly, uh, or even you know on the rewatch the the first time, it's like you really you know part of it is I really just want to get through season one. <laughs> um, but but also it, it I forgot how delightful a character that. John was and how it, it, the interplay with him and Hotch is just really, really fun. And, you know, normally these local sheriffs or the local law enforcement, you get a really good stand up performance every now and then. But for the most part, it's it's a secondary role. It's a all right, can we just see how our guys deal with the situation? And this is one of the few times where it's like, no, I actually want to just watch this guy. I want to give him his own show. Like, this, this is fun. This guy's awesome. And uh, so, and plus, you know, it was just the right balance, I think, of the, the funny, uh, the comedy. Like, is your name uh, Samuel <laughs> Reed? No. Why are you answering me? There was, a lot of, there was a lot of funny in there. So I, I, I did like this episode a lot more than I thought. I mean, it's not the best episode, but uh, it's, it's a lot yep. better than I remembered it. Um, so let's do our barometer and uh, ask ourselves. And I'm, I'm wondering about your response on this one. But uh, what do you think? Did the BAU team win this week? Well, you know, I always like to take it from when we called in the troops. So you can't blame them for the fact that the kidnapping took place. You can't blame them for the massacre of the students. Uh, That is the inciting incident. But look at it this way. Uh, There was a kidnapped girl. It turns out she was kidnapped by her own father. So it really wasn't an unsub to catch. They turned themselves in. But the victim did, you know, the kidnapped victim was rescued and the unsubs were caught. So, okay, it's not a negative. Uh, and quite frankly, sure, there was the murder of uh, the Mitten family. But again, I really can't blame them because they had the cops on watch there. And that's more the cops' fault. I mean, you, you, hey, watch the Mittens, just make sure nothing happens. Well, guess what? That's not on the BAU. So... I want to say of the 30 or so people who were in danger of being killed, because I would count all the students and I didn't count them, so I'm just ballparking it at about 30 people. They saved 24 <laughs> of them. <laughs> yeah. Like the mittens died, plus the cop, so that's six deaths. But of the 30 people, uh, they saved 24 of them, so that's pretty good. There were seven unsubs, five of them were caught, and two of them were killed. <laughs> and out of necessity, not out of, uh, you know, anything else but uh, self-defense. So, yeah, this is a win. Cool. I uh, I actually agree with you. I, I might have thought we would have gotten in a little murky area with the Mitten Massacre, but uh, uh, you, I like the way you explained it, and I, I agree with you. Now, if you're going to talk the, the law enforcement barometer, yeah. <laughs> we might have a different different answer here. This is the barometer. Yes. <laughs> All right, cool. Uh, let's go for a little quiz, AJ. Let's do that part of the show. <laughs> yes, exactly. All right, my my favorite part of the show is the trivia quiz. I have another podcast called Beat My Guest. Season 8 just got underway in the month of May, so it's going to be an exciting time for trivia there, and I bring a bit of the trivia here, but this trivia is spun off from the episode that we just watched, uh, Criminal Minds World-based. So let's go with question one. Sir, 
Eric Johnson played Sean Hotchner in this episode. On two other shows, he will eventually play a character named Chad. I would like for you to name for me either one of those other shows in which Eric Johnson plays a character named Chad, both of which are in the sci-fi fantasy genre. Okay. Well, thank you for narrowing down the genre. That helps a little bit, but not really. (laughs) So I'm just going to guess a show. Uh, I I don't think it's going to be anything like Game of Thrones or something like that, where where the name Chad would seem to be. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Not... uh, Chad Targaryen. (laughs) So... uh, just knowing you and some of your uh, previous uh, shows that you've enjoyed, I'm going to guess there was a character named Chad on a little show called The 100. That is an excellent guess, especially because uh, Eric Johnson is a Canadian-based actor, and so he uh, certainly would take part and had a lot of roles in a lot of uh, Vancouver shooting of episodes uh canada right idea unfortunately not correct uh we are looking at orphan black would be the canadian sci-fi show uh this and he was also a character named chad on american gods which starred ricky whittle who was on the hundred so there is a tie in there <laughs> oh well i wasn't gonna get that one um even though i did watch orphan black i i don't remember that character or name all right. All right. And I'm going to throw in it's you know, we still got a whole bunch of predictions that have yet to come to fruition just yet. But I want to throw another one onto the table here. Uh, prediction time. Sean Hotchner. We saw an, a, a sibling rivalry of epic proportions that seemed to have been healed by the end of the episode. He's going to New York. Uh, going to be a chef, not a lawyer. Prediction time. Do we ever see Sean Hotchner again? And if so, how long before we do? Uh, I'm going to think we will see Sean again. I'm going to say we will. Uh, Okay. And I'm going to give it. I'm going to give it a little time because uh, we're going to find out either. He becomes this big, successful restaurant guy. Or perhaps we're going to find out that uh, he decided that that life wasn't right for him. And maybe he wanted to be a lawyer after all. So I think uh, a little bit of time is going to have passed. Um, I'm going to say four years will pass and we will see Sean again in season five. All right. That's a fair ballpark of an answer. I'm not going to. Have you narrowed down to 47 episodes? (laughs) Season five. All right. We will put that on the board and see what happens. As you know, still, still no sign of the Hotchner kid and what, what this child was named. Uh, You still, uh, I, I, is the only one I I gave you permission to change at some point. Now that you have met Sean Hotchner and have seen this episode, are you still sticking with Richard? Yeah, only because I have no no clue on, on what they're going on. Fair enough. Just wanted to give you the opportunity. Did they s- since it seemed like we'd learned enough 
new stuff now that yeah. perhaps, you know. Maybe if they said the name of their father, I might have said, okay, he's he's going to name him after the father. But uh, I don't think they said the name. Fair, 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 fair. All right. Question two. Speaking of Chad, which we were in the previous question because because uh, Eric Thompson played two characters named Chad. Uh, Chad is the name of the actor who played Grandfather. Were you aware of that? Did you notice Chad Allen was the actor who played uh, Grandfather in this episode? Uh, but a long time ago, he played a character named Zach Nichols, who competed for the affection of Nicole Bradford. On what show? Multiple choice for this one. So what show did Chad Allen, who played Grandfather, play Zach Nichols, competing for the affection of Nicole Bradford? Was this on Eight is Enough, Gimme a Break, Kate and Allie, or My Two Dads? So originally my first thought was going to be Eight is Enough because that's the show when I think of the last name Bradford that that would come up. But he appears to be too young Unless this was like some childhood, because I don't remember who Nicole Bradford is. So, but if Nicole Bradford was like the little girl on it is enough, and he was a little boy striving for her affection, that's that's a possibility. I don't think there were any Bradfords on Give Me a Break, which I did watch that I can remember. Kate and Allie, I might have watched a few episodes, but I don't remember that show too well. And what was my last choice? Choice D was My Two Dads. My Two Dads, which I never watched a single episode of. So they could have been Bradford's as well. I'm going to go with with eight as enough just because that's – even though I think he's too young to have been on that show, I'm going to just say that because I can't – I don't know Bradford's on any of the other shows. And you are absolutely correct. The Bradford family is eight is enough. And you're also absolutely correct. That is far too long ago for him to have been significantly involved. Uh, he was on My Two Dads. Spent about uh, 26 episodes battling it out with Giovanni Ribisi for the affection of Nicole Bradford. Wow. <laughs> That's a blast from the past, Giovanni. There you I go. <laughs> haven't seen him in a while. BB, I don't know what to do. I need triplets. Um, all right. One more question before we wrap up the trivia. Uh, let's get you back on the winning ways here. You're coming into this uh, week. You're 15 out of 45. 33%. So get this one right. You'll maintain that 33% going forward. And the question is simply, what is the plot of Criminal Minds? Season 1, Episode 17, entitled A Real Rain. A Real Rain. Is it A, Chi-Town copes with a copycat killer? Is it B, Dallas deals with a drought and a devious drive-by shooter? Is it C, L.A. languishes with a heat wave and an upsurge of murder? Or is it D, the Big Apple is besieged by a brazen vigilante? Oh, man, you worked hard on your alliteration for this one. <laughs> I got um, the skills, rah, rah, like a dungeon <laughs> dragon. Okay. I don't really have a good basis for any of these guesses. So it is just a pure guess. And I am going to guess 
It is choice A, Chi-Town. Chi-Town. Dealing with a copycat killer. Not falling for my trick of, uh, in an episode called A Real Rain, that Dallas was dealing with a drought. Uh, so good on you there. Unfortunately, we're going to be heading to the Big Apple. Ah. Besieged by a brazen vigilante. That's what we got up next. <laughs> Coming up next time, right here on Polonius Pundits. Excellent. Well, I'm looking forward to it, and uh, hopefully next week I can uh, pick back up the score a little bit. So uh, just in a slight batter slump this week, but uh, hopefully we'll change that next time. It's all good. It's all good. <laughs> if uh, you want to hear more of me, probably failing at many of AJ's questions. Not only can you listen here every week, but uh, I was also uh, recently taped an appearance for season eight of Beat My Guests. So be sure to check that out whenever it drops, uh, AJ. Yeah, had a fun soon, time. Soon, soon, soon. Absolutely. Possibly the same week as this one. I'm not sure with the, <laughs> on the timing, but yeah, could very cool. well be. Cool, cool, cool. Guys, that is it for this week. I had a fun time. I hope you guys did too. And uh, if you did, certainly do all those good things that you like to do for your favorite podcasts, like uh, subscribing, rating, reviewing, all those good things. Uh, You can always uh, write to us if you'd like at feloniouspundits at gmail.com. And that was great. So for AJ Mass, this is Kintad Svensgaard saying goodbye and keep profiling. Wheels up. While living, I want to live well. Geronimo.